three, and two. The streets of Bakriti, Texas have been overtaken by a militia of armed men and women. They swarmed this town after Rick Egan, host of the New Crusade, began live broadcasting here earlier today. These people, these followers, will do whatever Egan tells them. Hello, and welcome to Tonebender's Sound Design Podcast, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games, and series. And in this particular case, our favorite podcast as well. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be your host today. I'm super excited for this talk, because I am a longtime podcast listener myself. And although Tonebender's is obviously a podcast, there are others who are doing some amazing things that is on a whole different level from what we're doing with the platform. We're going to talk to the people behind some of my personal favorite go-to podcasts when it comes to sonic storytelling. First up, we have Jonathan Roberts with us. He's an audio production lead for fiction podcasts based in New York. Most recently, he was the supervising sound editor and co-designer on Quiet Part Loud, which you just heard a clip of off the top of this show. It was produced by Jordan Peele's Monkey Paw Productions. Also with us is Jamie Kupar, a sound designer at Wondery based in Burbank. Most recently, Jamie was the sound designer and mixer for Melon's House Party, as well as episodes of Little Stories Everywhere and Who's Amazing Life. Next up is Alison Grasso, who is joining us from London, but is Brooklyn-based. She's a picture editor and filmmaker, but for this conversation, we'll talk about her work in fiction podcasts as an editor for both Shipworm and Season 2 of Limetown. Marcus Bagala is located in New York City, and some of his recent projects include being the sound designer on Quiet Part Loud, as well as being the supervising sound editor and composer for Harley Quinn and Joker, Sound Mind. Finally, we have Danielle Brunel, who is also on Quiet Part Loud and Harley Quinn, as well as the sound designer on K-63. He also worked on Marvel Wastelanders Black Widow and Wastelanders Wolverine. So we have a massive amount of experience between all these guests. You can find links to all the podcasts that they've worked on and will be discussing over on this episode's page at ToneBendersPodcast.com. Okay. Now let's get to know them all. We started the conversation by asking them each individually how they got started in the world of podcasting and sound design. We started off with Jamie Cooper. I was trying to get more sound design work. I was kind of working at a, at a recording studio um, that, that did like commercials and stuff. It was uh, called 48 Windows. But they knew I wanted to do more sound design work. Then one day my boss, Eric, like came to me and said, hey, I've got a lead on a sound design client. They do podcasts. And I was like, Are, isn't that like just two people talking to one another and talking about like serial killers or something. And then it was a trial for the podcast Imagine Life. I listened to a couple of them and that was when I realized like, oh, this is not that kind of podcast. So yeah, I started sound designing for them and then I've just kind of been going from there. Daniel? I think probably Radiolab, which was you know not the type of show that I ended up doing, but just the way that that show so leans into a style and a voice in the sound design, and just the, it's a complete you know sound package. It's not just two people talking. There's an emotional aspect to to the sound design. So I always kind of wanted to be a part of it, I guess. Um, 
And then a colleague of mine from Chicago, uh, another engineer, ended up working with Gimlet. And uh, up until that point, I'd really only worked as a composer, music producer. Literally one day, he just sent me an email and said, hey, we got this project, and uh, I think you, you'd do great. You could do it. <laughs> I said, are you sure you want me to? Are you sure you want me to do it? So that was a. Uh, I did a interactive. Um, it's, it's called an Alexa skill. Uh, it's like an interactive voice game with an, with Alexa. They're not super popular, but it was actually a really interesting technical challenge. Like we had to get um, our our uh, our max bit rate was. Uh, I, I had to get down to forty eight kbps mono. It was just like absolute garbage audio and i had to sound design into that because it, it had to be zero latency through an alexa um that was my first thing and then after that i did a show called the two princes like a full fantasy show and we had to quickly learn how to like our audience doesn't know what this baby dragon looks like but i somehow have to paint the image and set the scene of two characters that nobody can see you know fantasy elements like we have possessed vines and trees and and all kinds of fantasy monsters you know it's not just forks and knives and car doors and it's you know it's fantasy soundscape without a visual so it's really a big challenge to when you get a script that's like a lot of times written from a visual perspective and you have to try to get the geography with otherwise unknown sounds setting the stage and sort of the sound stage we think of it sort of like cinematography and um it was a fun challenge, and I basically haven't stopped since. Cool. Jonathan, you want to tell us about your first uh, podcast work experience? Sure. My uh, entry point was through like theater sound design and then uh, music for churches, music for slot machines. Then it kind of like slid into kids' podcasts. And I had kids, and I started wanting to make I, – I loved listening to podcasts, just walking around or hiking, and then I wanted to make stuff for them. And then that, that turned into a job at Gimlet on Chompers, the, the kids toothbrushing podcast, uh, which is wonderful. But while at Gimlet, then uh, that's when I sort of like open, got turned toward um, fiction podcasts, which was like such a great match for all of my, you know, love for telling stories and painting pictures with sound and, um, you know, sort of sound designing musically all that kind of came together in fiction for me. My entry point was The Two Princes, too, like Dan on the second season. But um, that was sort of my path. Awesome. Allison, you want to talk about your first podcast work experience? I'm kind of coming from the visual world, actually. I am a kind of traditional filmmaker, traditional in giant air quotes, editor, um, mostly working in short form, doing commercials, branded content, short docs, music videos, that sort of thing, and wanting to dive more into like longer form scripted narrative content and opportunities. And um, I went to college with Skip and Zach, who created Two Up Productions, who are the creators of Limetown. And so when season two of Limetown came around, um, we're good friends and they know I'm an editor and was kind of just like itching for for new diverse stuff to do and, and opportunities and ways to tell a story. So they asked me to cut season two of Limetown. So that was my kind of um, first big dive in. And so season one already existed, which was a great kind of blueprint for someone who is typically um, accustomed to cutting with picture. It was both 
extremely liberating to not have picture, but also like a brand, that brand new challenge of trying to paint the picture sonically and not being a sound of first person and not having, I'm not, I, I did sound design. I did rough sound design to sketch out the episodes and to build the timing and to create the world, but I'm not by any means like a Foley artist or anything like that. So I was just kind of having to get creative with like sourcing sound effects and, and doing them at home and all this sort of thing so that the, the pieces would be totally mapped out for the kind of like more final sound pass. I'm sure we'll get more into that later, but that was my first my first experience with scripted podcast. Okay, our last one to tell us about how they got into it is Marcus. How'd you how'd you start off, Marcus? I had been working primarily in the sort of like music side of film and TV. I'd been assisting uh, another composer by the name of Marcelo Zarvos. It was like 2014-15-ish. I was enjoying that, but it was also very intense and I was sort of looking for another thing that I could do that would like have me uh, like working with sound and composing that would have a little bit more leisurely of a pace than like scoring. I think we scored seven movies and three TV shows in like the space of a year, um, which was a lot. I left that gig and I was rooting around for like what I could do next. And my girlfriend at the time, now wife, Megan, uh, was like, hey, uh, there's this thing, it's a podcast, it's called Serial, you should like take a listen to it. And I'm also sure that like a million people in audio have this sort of origin story, but um, I listened to it and I was like, wow, this is really cool. I think I could probably do this, some form of, of what this is. Um, and I just sort of started trying to find gigs in the podcast um, industry. And actually, funnily enough, um, I reached out to a friend of mine by the name of Martin Fowler, who uh, worked on the Limetown as well. Uh, he was the composer. And I was like, hey, I really want to do like podcast stuff. And I know you did Limetown. Like, do you have any suggestions? And uh, his response was, yeah, I, you know, I just met Ira Glass from This American Life at an event. And like, they're looking for composers. Do you want to like do music for them? And then that was just sort of like a jumping off point. And I, I scored This American Life for a couple of years. And then I landed at Gimlet. Um, and I, sort of like in terms of uh, fiction podcast. I had been working primarily in nonfiction, like it was This American Life, and then I did a bunch of shows at Gimlet. And then uh, I had this sort of weird opportunity to write my own show um, through a fellowship program that Gimlet sort of ran during 2020, uh, sort of towards the beginning when uh, none of us really knew like what was going on and what we were actually doing um, because of, you know, due to the like pandemic and lockdown, stuff had really slowed down sort of got this opportunity and I was going to write my own show. Um, and the whole sort of point of writing the show was that I wanted to do the sound design that I'd always wanted to do for podcasts, but never did because I was always working uh, in nonfiction. Uh, so I did that and I had a blast and now, <laughs> now that's all I wanted. Like all I want to do is uh, fiction stuff. Okay, now that we've uh, kind of got to know how you all got into the business, let's talk about when you first put microphones up and start recording voices for uh, scripted podcasts. Are you recording them differently than you would? Or is everyone getting up close tight to the mic? Or are you tackling uh, the recordings a little differently? Marcus, do you want to start with that? Yeah, it's a little bit of a loaded question because for the past two to three years, we've been doing almost everything remote. Any sort of semblance of being like, wow, like what, can we do something cool? Can we do something interesting um, to sort of affect the like texture of the dialogue um, in terms of the uh, like production process is just like out the window. That said, uh, for the first time 
in, you know, since the pandemic, we did get the sort of fun opportunity to do some recording for in person with actors for uh, Harley Quinn and Joker Sound Mine. And in that case, we were looking at wanting to have like more of a sort of naturalistic, uh, like the term like filmic was sort of thrown around a little bit. And so for that, we opted to do uh, shotgun mics, you know, a little bit away from the actor. So there was like, the room didn't sound that great. So we weren't trying to get room tone, but we just wanted the actors to have a little bit of like play and they could like move around a little bit without um, uh, sort of getting off access or having some sort of weird uh, mic stuff happening. Um, but it was, you know, this is weird though, because it was the first time, you know, everything before that had been like, okay, we're on Zoom and like, great, you're in your closet. We're going to you know, figure out how to uh, make it sound, you know, really, really, you know, really nice and sound like everyone's in a room together. And then, you know, finally we had it and we're like, wow, what do we do? It's interesting because I think you're always fighting whether you want to have sort of ultimate flexibility in post, which is often uh, what you want. Um, I think just because of the way fiction podcasts work, like you can get really, uh, you can just edit like crazy and have a lot of fun, like changing things around or like oh, you know what, this scene doesn't work uh, in person anymore. Let's put them on the phone and, you know, like stuff like that where it's like you can actually do that because you don't have picture to worry about. So it's like all about processing and and setting, you know, can like really play a lot into what sort of comes out of it. I cut um, Shipworm and that was very much like this is a movie script for your ears. And so the actors were brought in two booths. And um, I mean, I can't speak too much on whether they were on or off mic. They definitely moved around the space, though. And I would say that that is definitely a huge difference between like, you know, talk show style podcast or quote unquote traditional or unscripted sort of podcast, because it's like they are acting. They are physically acting and you're hearing that in their voice. If the, the actor is running, he's physically going to be running there. He's breathing heavily. He's, you know, if he needs to scream, he needs to step back off the mic. And just the difference that that does make when you're listening to it is huge. And I think it makes a huge difference in the performance itself. When those two actors are working together, they were shipworm. were actually recorded kind of, it was still sort of lockdowny. It wasn't fully lockdowny. It was like, you're allowed to go to work, but they had two separate booths in the same studio. So that's like, they could see each other, but they were like hermetically sealed um, in a way. Uh, that was like really kind of just, just such a, a cool thing. And I, I think you can hear it. I think you can totally hear the kind of physicality of that performance that's going on versus just your kind of typical trying to get the best possible sound recording. Yeah. It saves you a little bit on like Foley clothing sounds too. <laughs> you have to fill in a little bit less. <laughs> so once we've got the voices recorded, which it sounds is normally in booths, what does a podcast sound team look like? Like, do we want to? I'm sure you're all in maybe different size of uh, productions, but maybe if we could go around the room again and kind of talk about maybe the show you're either working on currently or the kind of shows you're normally working on, what the size of crew is and uh, what the various roles might be. Jamie, do you want to start? Yeah, the team is uh, very small. I'll just start with like Melon's house party. Let's. What did that team look like? You basically have a recording engineer. Originally, we were um, passing it off then to an assembler because they would call out what takes they wanted, and then that person would kind of put it all together. Then it kind of just comes to me to handle like the rest of it. So it's kind of just the three along the way. And eventually, like because we were basically recording Melon's House Party like an animated TV show, so you get each 
actor in separately. No one was really like acting off of each other. So we would have them all come in separately and then someone would assemble it. But then timing is such an issue because they're not assembling that to picture. We would then like send it back to Duke, who was the, the director, to like tighten everything up. And then other people on the team, like there was sound designer. We were lucky enough to have a composer on that one. Um, sorry, composer um, Shirley Song on that one. I feel like I should name drop just whenever possible. Uh, and um, and then we had uh, Matt Sachs and uh, Michael Cheever doing the uh, musical numbers. So that was kind of our tight little team of sound people. Um, sometimes work on a show called uh, Little Stories Everywhere, which is you just have a narrator who then like does character voices themselves. Um, and so that's the same tight team. We don't even have a composer on that one. I'm just pulling music and putting it in. So that's really like the engineer, the assembler goes to the sound designer and that is the sound team. So yeah, I'd be curious, like what is what are other people's? Because it sounds like the, some of these are like bigger. Jonathan, do you want to take this next? And you mentioned the toothbrushing podcast Chompers. <laughs> That's been a big part of my life since uh, my kids turned about two. Oh, gosh. Thank goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, do you want to talk about your experiences there, Jonathan? Well, right back at you, Tim. Paw Patrol really runs deep in our family, too. So, <clears throat> gosh. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Um, so, yeah, and Marcus also worked on Chompers. Um, so that team had two, I think, two of us at some point going back and forth in the sort of post side, that was a sort of a special thing with a small, with a small team, twice daily show in fiction shows that I've worked on. The team is often kind of like Jamie describing. It's often like three to five people seems to be sort of a sweet spot with maybe one lead or sound supervisor type engineer. Maybe that person takes it to the end through mix. That could be the sound designer or a separate sound designer on quiet part loud. We had three or four of us through this, Fan of the show working on the sound design but that was that was the biggest show that i've ever done and the biggest one at gimlet a typical show there can often be you know maybe three or four people some people dipping in and out the recording engineer maybe a, a dialogue editor coming through but the cool thing about fiction podcasts is that people do kind of stay in their lane but there's also a lot of fuzzy edges and that's okay uh, on these shows where you can dip into other people's stuff and uh, share the sessions together in kind of a, um, you know, jump in. I'll fix, I got, I see this note from the director. I can handle that while you go in this other spot. Um, I know I can just clean up the dialogue here, even though I'm, I'm not the dialogue editor. You know, there's a lot more um, blending of edges that can go on, which is for me and a lot of us, I think a fun part of it. You get to do a lot of stuff. So, Allison, uh, you kind of, as you mentioned earlier, you're coming into this from a slightly different spot as a picture editor. Are you finding the differences in roles uh, extreme or not very much? How did you find the change? Um, I want to begin with a shocking confession, which is that I have edited all of these scripted podcasts in Premiere, Adobe Premiere, um, which has actually works out wonderfully for me. That's my native language, and I actually use the picture track all the time to like put labels um, or notes to myself or notes to the person listening back. Um, let me just say that right now. I have not challenged myself that hard when switching into audio only. Presents the, the challenges and the freedom, I guess, you know, of kind of like leaning only into sound. And it's very funny the kind of conversations that I would have with the directors and writers when I'm cutting together the scenes 
because it's like a big action sequence in the script. It's written out like he's he's running down the stairs of a big parking garage. And so I, you know, kind of build that scene and get it put together. And then we get into this like hilarious labored conversation. Okay, but how many staircases and like, what are the stairs made of? And like, how big is this parking structure? And like, I don't know, is he turning left or is he turning right? And are there two doors or one door? And does it have that big like metal bar thingy on it? Or like, you know, just the kind of like details that if you were looking at it, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, but it's this weird process of like, you need to get it out of your brain and into my brain so that I can put it there in the sound. And it's so much, it's such, it's so silly when you think about it really, just like the time that you spend, um, on these teeny tiny details that you would never, if you were, if you were shooting this as a film, would not have this conversation with your art department. I don't think it would not get this detailed. Um, it's a fun challenge and it gives you ultimate freedom that you would not have if you had picture. If you have picture, you are kind of a slave to continuity sometimes. You've got to cut here. You've got to cut here. Oh no, these don't match. Oh, he wasn't holding his glass of water in the right hand. That take is dead to you. Whereas that you have ultimate freedom here, which is, you know, the blessing and a curse, I'm sure as everyone will agree. On the show that we just finished, Quiet Part Loud, we totally reimagined the climactic scene and we took our main character in and out of a van. We added a, a car chase. We removed a car chase. It was like, maybe he's running instead of driving. Maybe he just trips and falls instead of gets in a car wreck. And it's really cool when you're working with writers and directors who have done a couple of these and are really cognizant of the flexibility and can like get inspired and we can kind of get more storytelling out of that flexibility than really any other medium. Okay, we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you a couple of things we have going on at Tonebenders right now. Uh, That baby crying sound will make sense in just a minute. Bear with me. We are asking our listeners for some help by sending in your favorite field recording stories. In our previous episode, I told a few tales of my own adventures pointing microphones at things out in the world, and now we want to hear your stories. It can be of a perfect sound you were able to get, or an amusing story of field recordings gone wrong, or even a recording that means something special to you personally. Go dig up the sound and record yourself telling the anecdote behind how you got it on tape. Then, send it via a file transfer service, like WeTransfer or whatever you prefer, to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Then we will make an episode with all the submissions. But we need your help to make this happen. Here is another example of a story of mine. Ten years ago, we did an interview with the uber-talented sound designer and supervisor, Carl Anderson. After we wrapped and we were saying goodbye, he heard my wife come into the room with our newborn baby. Call immediately asked how old the baby was, with a strangely intense interest. When we said he was one week old, he asked me to record the baby crying as soon as we could. He was working on an upcoming Darren Aronofsky film that had newborn babies as part of the plot. He then explained how as a baby gets older, its vocal cords change quite quickly, and the sound a newborn makes is very different from what a two-month-old would make. Their voices are full of natural distortion in the first week or so. So that night, I let my son cry it out for 10 minutes in the booth. 
and I got some really horrible baby crying sounds. But they ended up being used in the film Noah in the big climactic ending sequence. They also have ended up being really useful in creature sound design over the years since. If only I had a high-frequency mic back then. So that's a good example of a story that we're looking for. If you have something like that, record yourself telling the story and send it in to info at tonemenderspodcast.com. One final thing before we get back to talking about podcasts. Coming up October 26th in New York City, we're having a sound design meetup at the Crompton Ale House in Chelsea. If you're in New York City on the 26th, which is when the AES convention is happening, please come on out. It would be great to see you all there. Tonebenders co-host Teresa and myself will both be there, and we'd love to hang out with as much of the New York sound community as possible. Okay, let's get back to talking about sound design for scripted podcasts. Here we go. How do you, in scripted podcasts, uh, present perspective? You know, when, when you have visuals, you can tell the perspective of what's going on. In scripted podcasts, you have to present that somehow. Does anyone want to tackle that? I'd love to, because it's like my absolute favorite thing about this stuff. Oh, okay. Perfect. Dan, take it away. One of our former engineers, uh, Matthew Bull, um, used to jokingly refer to it as sound metography. Sound metography? <laughs> That's great. I love that. Yeah. It's you know, just a corny <laughs> you know, joke word for it. But we talk about the shot all the time. So our main character has burst through the door. His romantic interest is close to him, but the the villain is up on the throne or something. And so we, well, a lot of times we have pretty complex, I think compared to maybe some other workflows, like at least in our sessions, we have a ton of altiverb and just a ton of reverb just for really intricate, you know, how close is this character to the, this wall in this space versus that character and really trying to build that 3d stage carefully doing a lot of, you know, binaural post-processing stuff and, and, um, really just trying to throw everything we can at it to give that sense of you're standing in a room with people and to point source those voices around the listener, which is really a lot different than what you'll get in film where, you know, as was mentioned before, like the visual is such a unified understanding for everyone on the team. It presents answers to questions that you don't have to ask we have to conceive of every little thing in post-production about where people are, how heavy is their breathing, how heavy is the, the window they're trying to open, how heavy is the door they're trying to kick down, and how can we keep the listener in that geography with it, without it becoming sort of illegible about what's happening and who's where and you know all that stuff. So we, we do have a lot of conversations just about like, making sure that it's clear who's still in the room and, and how far they are away. Like if you have a scene where somebody pulls out a knife, it makes a big difference if that person is 20 feet away from your main character or six inches away from your main character. So you can't do what I think would be also common in TV and film where you can hype up sound effects to the point where it's, you know, it's like hyper real. It's not realistic, but it, you know, hits really hard. Like if you make a sword sound epic, as you might on like a, in a trailer or something like that, that could be super disorienting and confusing if there isn't a visual that says, well, well, yeah, that was an epic sword swoosh, but he's 20 feet away. So I know my main character's not in a lot of danger. So you have to be so cognizant of the physicality of the scene and still trying to achieve that 
you know, trying to achieve kind of like a high, a hi-fi audio experience for your listener. Yeah. And that is totally the fight too. That sort of hi-fi, like trying to keep it engaging and close while also um, communicating space. Like that's really, I, I find that really hard personally in, in my own work where I'm like, like I want this to sound punchy, but like, uh, you know, it, it's just not close. I, I feel like that was, um, on, on Harley Quinn, it was a really amazing thing Dan did with the Batmobile. You know, it, it was like such an iconic effect and it was like, yeah, but it's so far away. Like it's like coming at you and there's like music and other things happening. And then you're like, how do you announce something that is, you know, a mile away, but you know, that you really want to feel it as it was, um, it's quite the sort of fight. That seems actually a really good example of this because we, um, like, Chaos. Marcus is a really talented composer. And, you know, he has a superhero score in the back. This is the end of the show. There's a superhero, so spoiler alert. I don't know. <laughs> if anyone wants to skip this part, yeah, hasn't listened to it. Yeah. In our climactic scene, we have Harley Quinn and the Joker are breaking out of uh, Arkham Asylum, or the prison, actually, uh, Blackgate Prison. Or we could just... Run. What? Run! What? What? Freeze! Freeze, lady! We have Marcus's score. Sirens going. A cop in pursuit. We have to know that we were inside and are now outside, so we have to somehow work in some kind of ambient night city sounds. So what do we do now? Everything's fine. Trust me. We have to create a window where, off in the distance, the Batmobile... Done, Joker. <laughs> the dark night. It's like you have so much working against you. You have so much bandwidth eaten up already. We have, you know, I've the klaxons are just like raging. You know, the air raid sirens and gunshots and score, and we have to somehow the listeners got to know that's one. That's the Batmobile, so it's got to be awesome. And two, that the Batmobile is. 400 feet away from them and coming in and we have to create that moment of like we're tracking it the characters see it and we have the emotional moment of the reveal of our big hero but we still have to deliver all this geographic information in this hugely noisy environment you know and it also has to you know work while you're like listening to it on the on the train going to work you know <laughs> so there's like a lot working against you um but even though there's all these kind of constraints it is we're just so much more liberated i think than other sound designers and because we can just put anyone wherever we want your guess is as good as mine how far away the batmobile is <laughs> working on stuff like that too is is it's nice because i think if you're working with picture and you have this like big effect, you kind of have that moment. And this is kind of like what Allison was saying. It's like, you have the thing you have, you know, however long it's showing up on screen to make the effect. And with uh, like this Batmobile thing that we were talking about, like, I don't know. We're like, Oh, let's give it another 30 seconds. Cause like, it's a cool sound and like, it's effective or like, let's shorten it. Cause we want it to go really fast. And like being able to play with pace um, is such a important piece of the podcasting puzzle. And it's, I think one of the like really unique things about um, like being like a sound designer in this space is that like, we actually have control over like the pace of how things come and like what's happening. And in a lot of cases, I will say I've worked on some things where like somebody did a dialogue at it and they're like, don't touch it, design around it. That happens sometimes. But 
um, in the the experiences that I've really liked, it's like you have that thing where you're like, well, let's yeah, like scoot it over a little bit and make that moment a little bigger. Or like let's make a little room for this effect or that effect or this important line. It's like it's a really kind of unique, cool thing about um, doing podcast fiction for sure. I was wondering from you, Jamie, like we think a lot about like as far as perspective goes, how to stay tight with the protagonist in these fiction shows. And I was wondering about Melon and Melon's house party. Like, how do you stay tight with Melon as all that stuff's going on in her house? Yeah, that was a conversation at one point. Like, I think we keep coming back to it's like, where is the camera? And so we were having a conversation about like, is Melon the camera at the very beginning? I feel like that's just going to get too confusing too fast because like if she is the camera then she walks over like everything's going to be like right in her face so we kind of just anytime we're inside the camera it's like here and like this is this is the layout um and so melon would then like move around the space that's interesting when you say like how do you stay in her perspective i think i found sometimes you would break that idea of that is over there. If something scary is happening, it's not going to like happen to Melon, who is kind of maybe like three feet away from you. It's going to be like in your ear instead. And like that gets the scare versus that is something scary happening to her. So that kind of puts you in her perspective, even though we're not necessarily like Melon's eyes. Yeah, no, that's neat. It really feels like that. And I feel like I'm hanging out in her house on your show. <laughs> God, yeah. that's great yeah there were also some weird points because i was trying to like we're always following melt but then there there are a few moments when they're like no actually let's let's stay with couch as he goes through the airport security thing and so it, it's fun when you break that like who who are we actually following now no couch is like going down into the water but like we'll follow him does anyone else have that like like specifically we're following this character and so the camera kind of moves with them we talk about this sometimes it's great because you can just do what you want if it sounds cool to like swoop into the phone call or swoop into the um the rattly boom box that this sounds coming through let's do it the director and you all work together let's let's move into that perspective for a while or let's come on out we can follow the rules or then break the rules it's it is really freeing i feel like sometimes i have to remind myself that it is okay to like break like established rules like i remember having a couple conversations with um, Eli, who's the director of Harley Quinn, <laughs> I feel like, oh, well, I feel like you can't do that because, like, we sort of established. He's like, "Well, just break the role," and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I guess you, I guess you can." <laughs> you know, like, good point. Do what we want. Don't need to go back and reshoot it. Yeah. <laughs> just move things. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then you listen, and you're like, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely. It's a, it's cool too because it's effective when you you sort of like set up a rule and then suddenly you break it that like little shift. I mean, and then say the other thing is like with with quiet part loud, um, you know, very liberally utilizes the like recording device cinematography <laughs> or cinematography technique, which is like a whole other you know thing where you're putting a device you know in a space in the show created by plugins, but a device which is your POV. Dan did some absolutely amazing. The Pro Tools session for Quiet Part Loud was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> uh, just with all the, there's all this really cool routing that made sort of switching between those perspectives uh, like totally a breeze. Very creative. 
Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about that show is that you can go inside of a device and you can make these perspectives that just make really no sense and um, or would not make sense in a film situation. So on Quiet Part Loud, we used we had just a ton of different competing perspectives. So sometimes we were in the scene with our main character, Rick. Sometimes we were in a sort of nebula of radio waves and found media swirling around. Um, and then the character f- comes across a uh, an Olympus. I forget the, the model. It's an <laughs> Do you have it, Jonathan? Quarter, um, which, uh, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jonathan got, got the actual named recorder, the Olympus LY something. Um, and so we did take a little bit of artistic liberty. It does record in stereo, but for storytelling purposes, we communicated its recording as mono. So we, we would, to try to get this sort of almost like a Blair Witch Cloverfield sort of effect of let's go into the device. Let's get like the, a quote unquote shaky cam effect um, where, you know, it'll go and we'll hear the club. We'll hear him put the device into his pocket and the voices get muffled. Shit, I can't get it to open. His jacket catches on fire. He throws the jacket with the recorder in it against the wall. What the hell? While he's trying to, you know, put out a fire. Hey, lady, are you still there? And that's all happening in this kind of pinhole thing. My jacket is on fire. Jesus. And then we hear him come close, find the recorder in the jacket, stop recording. Uh, fuck me, I love that jacket. <coughs> and now we're back in stereo, and we can kind of feel the world get wide again. Entree, mademoiselle. Good. Now we can talk for real. Oh, wait, Careful uh, with the jacket. It's all things that you can only do, you can only, you know, trick your listener. You can like, we're lucky that we're working in a medium where we can impress or get fancy with mono, you know, which is like, I don't know. It's just cool to be able to just put the entire system, the whole story just into a single channel. It's, it's fun. It's cool too. Cause like, I think it's one of those things where listeners like inherently just sort of understand what's happening too. Like you hear the, like, shitty recorder effect and like they know where they are like you know where you are sort of immediately and i think that's sort of a unique thing you know this idea that i know we just have this like shared understanding of like yeah you're like recording a voice memo like everybody has or most everybody has an iphone it's just like a a thing that you get this idea of um sort of shitty audio and just means like a handheld device or something Um, it's like a nice shorthand to sort of force a perspective well, like speaking of sh- shitty audio, uh, <laughs> when someone's mixing, you know, the next Avengers film, they're mixing it for a calibrated space in a theater with huge speakers. When you're mixing a podcast, designing for a podcast, it, sometimes the end user is listening to it on really crappy headphones, earbuds on a subway full of people. So, like, how much do you take that into account? Do you want to take that, uh, Jonathan, maybe? Well, not only that, but but you don't have control of sort of what they're, where they are and, like, what they're experiencing on their day. They're not, like, sitting in a theater or on a couch. They're, like, sorting through something in their life, maybe on an errand in town and feeling their own emotions on top of the show's emotions that you're trying to convey. So there's a lot out of your control. 
yeah, you have to embrace all that and sort of be okay with all that and make it intelligible in a lot of different kinds of settings. It's often a smaller smaller dynamic range on podcasts, of course, compared to film, but too small also is taxing for people. So I, I don't know. It's just a lot of uh, of stuff to balance. Yeah, our um, you know our car check is AirPods on a subway. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, just like you said. We listen to enough stuff on AirPods. You kind of sort of get a sense for like how they work and what they sort of do. And then the other thing I will say is just like every podcast producer has a pair of these like Sony MDRs. Um, <laughs> so I, I always have a pair of these uh, handy because I know that like half the time when I send somebody a mix, they're probably listening on these. And that's always like a helpful reference um, as well. I know it's because you're mixing for the, you know, end listener. And then sometimes you're also mixing for the producer who, you know, then wants to <laughs> like, uh, you know, talk about it. And that helps too. Allison, do you have any thoughts on that? I thought you were going to ask, do you take it personally when people listen on like shitty speakers? <laughs> I don't. The mixer probably does. I do. Definitely. <laughs> I, that's funny. I do think that I, I've noticed like uh, disclaimers at the beginning of podcasts where they're like, hey, maybe listen on nice headphones, you know, <laughs> like things like that. And I kind of appreciate when that is a thing, you know, hey, you know, you know, do your thing. But like, you know, your best results will come from experiencing this the right way in, you know, quotations. Jamie? I feel like you also lose so much when, if you're honestly like just in like studio monitors, your reverb has to be bumped up so much more just to to get that effect. And so I feel like you almost have to mix on headphones because if that's how everyone's, it's just so much more sensitive when when you've got the speakers right next to your ears. So I always just kind of like just namaste my way through like some people are going to be listening in their car and I don't even know what they're not going to hear. That's okay, right? Yeah, I guess hopefully they're they're actually listening like in a quieter place because you can really get that sensitivity and um, that nuance rather than like listening to something that's further away. And I think noise cancellation is becoming such a norm. So that's that's helpful too. Thank you very much, everybody, for talking. I think this has been a really fun conversation. We've gone an hour already, so I, I think we got to wrap it up there, although I have a bunch of other questions for you. Maybe we can do a part two down the road. Uh, but thank you very much. It was great talking to you all, and uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Tim. Thanks thank so you. much. Really fun. Thank you. Well, hopefully you cannot tell after we have edited this talk, but it was a nightmare for me. While I was trying to conduct a somewhat professional interview, my house was being completely messed up by a contractor who had shown up for the day completely out of his mind on drugs. So I was trying to get him to stop and leave while also attempting to keep this interview on the rails. So I want to send a huge thanks to Marcus, Allison, Jamie, John, and Dan for being very understanding as I was stopping and starting this talk. Oh, the bad memories. Remember, if you're in the New York City area, to come on out to our sound design meetup on October 26th at 7 p.m. at the Crompton Ale House in Chelsea. Full details at ToneBendersPodcast.com. Also, start thinking of your favorite field recording story that you can send in to us to be part of our upcoming crowdsourced episode. You have until November 19th to submit. My name is Tim Muirhead. Thanks for listening to ToneBenders. Tone Benders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. 
Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. If you enjoyed this episode of Tonebenders, take a look back into our archives for a show from way back in 2017 that we did along the same lines as this episode. We had members of the sound teams from the podcasts Radiolab, Archive 81, Here Be Monsters, and Off Track talk about their sound design process. It's an older episode now, but the content is evergreen, and it is a fun talk. Look for episode 54, Sound Design for Radio and Podcasting Roundtable, on ToneMendersPodcast.com, or look on your podcatcher.